Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome everyone. I'm so pleased to be joined today with Caitlin Watson and together we are recording part two of our Imposter to Empowered series and today we are focusing on something super special and that is really on self-growth and development and how to shape your life, align your habits and make real change happen. Welcome Caitlin. Thanks so much Karen. It's great to be back. Fantastic. So, Caitlin, over the past while, self-growth and personal development have really come into focus as key skills or insights that people need to develop around themselves. In your opinion, why has this become so important? Karen, I think it goes without saying that our world is evolving so rapidly and the skills that we require to adapt to our environment are changing. Given that 55% of our global workforce is not actually skilled for our current world of work, never mind the future world of work, we really do have our work cut out for us. I think the usual expectations and skills that we attach to our various roles are being challenged. What our parents did and what our predecessors did in terms of how they show up to work and how their parents is different to what is expected today. We are modeling behavior often on what we've grown up with and we've seen. And some of it's relevant, but some of it's not. So we've got a lot of growing to do in that space. So as an example, as a leader, We can no longer arrive at work and lead a team with a limited level of self-awareness. We really are expected to have a deep understanding of ourselves and to be able to connect meaningfully with our teams in order to drive high performance. So it's about understanding their unique motivating factors of each individual. Expectations of leaders today are different. Similarly, with parents, the schooling system now is pushing back to ensure that the parents really play a fundamental role in their children's holistic development. So we as parents can't expect the school system to be fully accountable for both the academic and the disciplinary components of our children's learning. And by the same account, we are expecting educators to help our children grow holistically and we want them to understand their unique strengths and development areas and help them navigate the environments. So what we saw as traditional roles and we thought we had a a roadmap for parenting, for being leaders, for being people operating in a work environment, that has changed. And I think it's difficult to accept that we might not be prepared for all of these expectations that have now been placed on us in these different roles. But I think it's so important, firstly, to recognize that we may not be prepared. And then secondly, focus on those elements that we can actually control. And that's something that kind of landed on my radar this year. It is about controlling the controllable and knowing that 20% of the time things are going to go belly up and that's okay. All we can do is try and upskill ourselves to be able to respond as best we can to these unknown and uncontrollable factors. And I think an excellent starting point for all of this is to understand our unique strengths and development areas. And that's not just doing high level personality assessments. It really is spending time doing a genuine deep dive into our unique value proposition, understanding what our strengths are, what our development areas are, and then we can work on it from there. I think for me, it's about that awareness. 
And then just lastly, I think many organizations say that they prioritize learning and development, and we see it as part of these beautiful culture plans and talent landscape, a strategic workforce plan. But actually, what I've seen is often a lack of individual development plans where we're taking those capability themes and making them real and specific to individuals and then tracking progress against these and actually discussing it on a monthly basis with between managers and employees. I've seen poor attendance at training sessions. So we're spending loads of money making the space for people to learn now that we're do you know, a lot of organizations are doing face-to-face -face training. People are not attending, saying they've got other priorities. So it's not being prioritized in reality and in practice. And then slow adoption of different learning avenues, such as learning platforms, e-learning, etc. I really think it's critical for those employees and people who've traditionally looked to their organizations to identify their development needs and book them on training. There needs to be a shift. And the shift in for me involves moving from this passive learner to the learning journey owner and looking at learning holistically. So really looking at the different opportunities there are in our environments in terms of our, that 70-20-10 learning principle we may have chatted about before. And that is 70% of your learning is happening on the job. Th those are happening in the moment. It's utilizing something like YouTube to quickly do a tutorial for two minutes on how to do a particular Excel formula. It is attending meetings, given the right sort of exposure aligned to your work, and then 20% of your coaching and mentoring, and then only 10% is that formal component. But even that component, we're not always getting right. So the bottom line is that if that employees who don't own their learning journey will fail to upskill themselves sufficiently enough to keep up with this rapidly changing world and will struggle to remain relevant in the industry. So it really should be a genuine focus of every employee entering the work world. Absolutely. And tell me from your perspective, what are some of the practices that you follow personally to continue your own growth and development? So I think any learning, true learning process should be self-refreshing. And I think for me, that's around identifying opportunities to learn in every environment. And it doesn't always have to be your traditional um, singular learning intervention. Learning happens for it to really be adopted and for real change to happen. It's those small learning bites, those small changes in habits that are consistently applied over time. And that creates the self-refreshing process, this self-refreshing learning process. So the sort of things I do is I love researching. So I'm always reading up on things that are interesting to me. And I have a passion for people. So I'm often reading up on how people tick, what makes people tick, what makes leaders, particular leaders successful, understanding the growth mindset. So I do a lot of bits of reading. In the past, I used to read books end to end, but now there is so much information available in bite-sized chunks that in the morning while I'm having my breakfast, I can spend 10 minutes reading an article. As an example, I do podcasts such as these, so that forces me to really dive into the content, do a bit more research and make sure that I've got a quality. So I learn in, in that way. And I'm just always looking for opportunities to connect with people. I like to write articles. I love to, often people will ask me to come and facilitate a workshop that's outside of my work environment. And that's great because it means then I've got to go back and refresh on content and look for additional sources. So 
I suppose it's about creating a little learning ecosystem where if you put yourself out there and you, you let people know that these are the skills that I have, people will ask you more and more to share those skills. And in that process, we start learning and growing our skill sets as well. So I think it's just about looking for those opportunities and finding them, finding them all over. They don't have to be your traditional learning methods or learning avenues. Absolutely. Now, in part one of our series, we spoke around imposter syndrome. When you think about imposter syndrome and the research that you've done into this, how does this affect an individual's growth and development journey? Imposter syndrome is actually amazing. The more and more I speak to people, if I mention it in, in coaching that I'm doing, and this is I work with clients around the world, and it doesn't matter in which country you're in, how advanced the education system is, how advanced your your workforce is. Every organization, every environment has people who struggle with imposter syndrome. And where we're seeing it is, as an example, in this talent storm that we're existing in at the moment, this, this fight for talent. And these are all terms that have been around for ages. But we're seeing that it is so tough for us to find the right talent in the right role and the right sort of skills. And it's not because there is a lack of talent out there. It's because these people who have the skills, who have the, the ability to think in a complex way and problem solve and have all these critical skills are less likely to apply for promotions because they don't see themselves as having the right skills. They're not looking at their track record to say, okay, I am actually skilled. I can see that I've performed in this way, but they're convinced that everybody else in the market is more skilled than they are. And they're convinced themselves that they're unlikely to get the role. And so they don't even bother applying. They're also less likely within an organization to take on more complex work or interesting projects, convincing themselves that they don't have the skills that the, or the skills that they do have are not valuable, that they won't be able to cope. What we then see is this just really creates results in a disservice to both the individual and the team because those individuals are less likely to share opinions. We then less likely to share ideas for problem solving. They're less likely to collaborate. Or if they do collaborate, then they won't own the piece of work and say, actually, I'm comfortable making the decision around this piece of work. Whatever the result is, I've owned it, I've contributed to it, and they're less likely to drive that piece of work forward. It becomes quite complicated in terms of how that person shows up, both for an interview, whether it's an, a person that's already in within a work environment. And then I think just as part of an individual's growth and development journey, outside of the work environment, we are less likely to explore activities or extramural or things that we enjoy because we believe there's no way that I can do that. And I have to say, my twin sister is just so amazing and my brother as well, actually. I often feel say that I'm like a one-trick pony. I can do this leadership and development stuff and I love the work that I do. But actually, I don't explore a lot outside of my work environment because I'm so passionate about this. Whereas my brother's an IT director, my sister's in finance. And she is in Italy this week and she just decided she's going to make two or three dresses for herself and that was that. And then she made her friend a little baby blanket because her friend's having a baby. And then my brother does poetry, he does jewellery making, he does writing. And I just always think to myself how amazing 
that they have the courage to pursue their dreams and pursue these activities that are so far removed from their current work environment, but they just go for it. And whatever they don't can't figure out, they ask people in the know, they research it, and they just do it. And I think that's part of the learning journey as well, is just having the courage to try something different and not box yourself into, into a category. And lastly, just tell me, what suggestions do you have for those who are ready to take their self-growth and development to the next level? Where do they start? So I love your story. It was really inspirational around that, having all of these creative avenues, but that's one particular way that you can begin that. But where would somebody that's just starting on this journey really begin in terms of finding out more about who they are and what they can do. I was reflecting on a workshop that I attended a few weeks back with Natalie Holmes from Conscious Connections. She was speaking about the superpowers, knowing your superpower, and I think she's actually done a podcast on that. And after I attended that workshop, I thought, what a beautiful place to start. The sort of questions that she was asking just helped remove some of those self-limiting views. So as an example, if you had unlimited resources, what would you do with your time? And as soon as you remove those barriers, the, that ceiling that we put in place, you start to then think creatively out of the box and think, what are the possibilities? So often we put these self-limiting beliefs on ourselves just because that's the way we've grown up and that's our current environment. So asking questions, I think, of yourself that you wouldn't normally ask and using a guide like Natalie's as an example is really helpful. Thinking about what you could get lost in it was another one of the questions so what helps you lose sense of time and that's often when we're focused on a particular activity that just relaxes us where it it requires our full focus it means that we're able to get rid of all the other stuff that that is swirling around that often distracts us from doing self-reflection and just really focus on that so thinking about those kinds of questions as an example what do people often ask you to do to help them with that will give you an indication of what you're good at because that's a skill that people value. So for me, it really is about just taking the time to try and understand what it is you have to offer the market, both whether it's the relationship market, whether it's your work environment, as a friend, as a parent, as a colleague, what, what makes you unique, what makes you and asking the right sort of questions to just probe a little bit deeper than your usual high level surface level questions that we ask will help us start building this picture of us as an individual. And then we can start aligning our values and aligning our activities to, the, to our value system. So we identify what we really find valuable and what's important to us. And then we can start building this environment and system around us to support that. So I think it's about having a clear idea of what you have to offer, what makes you, what's your unique value proposition, and then identifying your values. And then we can start aligning our growth, our development, our plans, our relationships, our work, all of that to that. Fantastic. Caitlin, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our time together today and some great insights that you've shared on really how to develop oneself and really uh, pursue self-growth and personal development and that it's quite easy if we just break it down. It doesn't have to all be done at once, but it's almost a daily pursuit. How can I grow today? So for those of you that are joining us for the first time, Caitlin builds, implements and measures talent management strategies for businesses and facilitates workshops linked to the end-to-end -end talent management process 
such as competency-based interviewing, performance management, career development, succession planning, and learning and development. She also runs workshops and coaches people on building behavioral skills that will help them thrive in their careers and often explores topics such as imposter syndrome, atomic habits, and the five love languages in her workshops and coaching. She runs a business called Duchess Talent Management Consulting, and please get in contact with her if you want to know more. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thanks so much, Karen.